Well, good morning, Encounter Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Kyle, and I serve as the youth director here. I'm also part of the Next Gen team, and it's a delight to worship with you this morning. Uh, before we dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to all of those joining us online. We're so thankful that you're worshiping with us today. Uh, Hey, church family, do you remember a couple weeks ago, I shared with you that our youth students were headed to Never the Same Summer Camp. Do you remember me talking a little bit about that? Well, guess what? We did the thing, and God showed up. Uh, It was such a tremendous week at Never the Same, and if it's cool with you, I want to share just a few highlights uh, that we experienced at our camp. Uh, And we had... Is such a good week. We had everything from students and leaders genuinely experiencing the love and the presence of Jesus all the way to our um, ladies staying up till 2 a.m. every single night talking and singing and laughing. And this doesn't surprise anyone, does it? Uh, We even had our middle school guys, I'm not looking at anyone in particular here in the front row, Uh, we even had our middle school guys laugh for hours and stay up all night because someone farted. Just once in an hour of laughter. Middle school ministry, I tell you, it's great. Um, I also want to share a few highlights. Throughout our time at NTS camp, we had seven of our Encounter Youth students say yes to recommitting their lives to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. And we also have two of our students who responded to a call to full-time ministry, and I'm looking forward to walking that journey with them. Um, I want to share just a few quotes that our students wrote down as a result of their NTS camp experience. I want to read them for you as a way for us to celebrate as a church together. So the first student writes this, God changed my life through NTS camp by giving me a reminder as to why I am a Christian. I also got a lot closer to my youth group and leaders, and I learned a lot about my own worth. It's good. Next student writes, I am feeling a calling from God. I'm not entirely sure what for yet. I've gotten so much closer to God in these five days. I was moved to tears every day as I was overwhelmed by the feeling of God there with us. That's pretty cool, huh? And uh, a lot of you in this room and those at Fulton Heights, you participated with us in sending our students to never the same summer camp. You gave financially, and we actually gave over a thousand of our um, target number. So way to go, church. Looks like I'm just going to have to increase the goal next time. And... Uh, And you supported us in prayer, and I've said this from day one, and I'm going to say it again. Every investment that we make in the next generation is worth it. It's worth every dollar spent, every ounce of energy invested. It is worth it, it is worth it, it is worth it, and we will not stop here at Encounter. Amen? So much good, so much good. Um, And if I'm talking about Next Gen, I have to talk a little bit about our kids' ministry. So guess what? Today, if you are part of kids' ministry, so kids in the room, a kids' leader, or family of kids, join Miss Megan and I at Horrocks Market at 11.30 a.m. Gelato is on Miss Megan today, so... I think that sounds like a date. I will see you there. All right, let's dive in today. Um, Who here in the room, before you got married, before wedding day, uh, you enrolled in premarital counseling? Anyone? This is premarital counseling? Awesome. Uh, So about five years ago, um, before my wife and I were to get married, we also enrolled in premarital counseling. And we loved it because we learned a lot of valuable things. 
one of the things or phrases that stuck with me the most was, it's not bad, just different. All right, so for my family and my wife's family, the way that we do Christmas morning could not be more different. Okay, so for instance, for my wife's family, you wake up at a reasonable hour, and uh, my wife's family's here, so I gotta be careful. Uh, You wake up at a reasonable hour, and you sit in a circle, and everyone's in the circle, you open gifts one at a time. And as you're opening your gift, everyone watches you. And uh, I've actually come uh, grown to love this because it's super, super meaningful. And don't forget, you save the box, you save the bag, and sometimes you even save the wrapping paper because they're Dutch. But that's just kind of how it is. Uh, my family, we could not be more opposite. At 5 a.m., I, I kid you not, this is not an exaggeration, at like 5 a.m., we're sleep deprived, we get out of bed, we rush to the living room. When everyone is in the living room, it's just like a free-for-all. You grab your presents and it's raining wrapping paper. You can't even step on the carpet because there's boxes and bags and toys everywhere and it is complete chaos. I don't know what anyone else gets because, right, we're just kind of opening our own thing and uh, it's chaos, but that's just tradition to us, right? That's how we do it. And in uh, premarital counseling, we learned that the way the other family does it, it's not bad, just just different, right? Uh, But one of the things that I love most, uh, what we learned in our premarital counseling, was if in a healthy relationship and in a way to create intimacy with your spouse, um, it's important to care about what they care about. Uh, For instance, if I take an interest in what my wife enjoys and loves. If I take an interest in that, she's going to feel loved as a result. Make sense? So that's what our counselor said. What Kyle heard was Michelle has to cheer for Michigan on college football Saturday. Oh, I don't want to hear booze. I was, like, I, I was like, counselors, that's great. I love this advice. We're going to take this. Right? And I was like, being married to me is going to be easy, right? Just wear a Michigan t-shirt on college football Saturday, make some food and watch a few quarters and it's all good, right? So that's how I feel loved. My wife, on the other hand, she feels loved when I go shopping with her, right? So uh, my wife, she owns her own online business. And so we're shopping for supplies all of the time. And she feels loved when I go with her, right? She feels loved when I drive her to the store, when I push the cart, when I get out my calculator and calculate the the clearance discounts before we get to the register, right? And I kid you not. Now, okay, sometimes preachers exaggerate, but I'm not exaggerating this. Guess where we end up on every single date night? We're not done. And let's not forget, every man's dream. Do I love shopping? Not really. Uh, Do I go and try to put a smile on my face and have a good attitude? Yeah, I try because I know my wife feels loved when I do so. Uh, Now, why do I tell you this? Uh, I tell you this for two reasons. Number one, if you see me at Hobby Lobby, you'll know why I'm there. Number two, (laughs) I want to argue today that the number one goal of Christianity is to experience intimacy with Jesus, right? Before God wants you to do anything for him, he first just wants to be with you, right? To experience relationship, to experience intimacy. 
And if we want to experience this intimacy with him, we've got to care about the things that God cares about. So what does God care about, right? When you look at the story of scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, it is clear that God cares for, his heart beats for people. He has love and compassion on all people, both near and far. We say it like this, God loves our neighbors and the nations. And if we want to experience this intimacy with him, we too must care for our neighbors and for the nations. This morning, I have the privilege of kicking off our two-part message series. You can guess the title at this point is Neighbors and Nations. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk part one about God's love for our neighbors. And then next weekend, I invite you to come back as we explore God's missionary heart for the nations. And throughout this message series, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of our encounter values here at our church, right? We say all the time, we love where we live. We love where God has planted us, and we want to invest in the community communities in which he has called us. And another value that we'll explore more so next weekend is we'd love to multiply locally and globally. And so I pray that throughout this series, you and I can step further into the values and identity that God has called us to. So God, he's inviting us into intimacy with himself. And as a result, he's inviting us to care for the people around us. But what if you're a college student and you're broke because you're in college, right? You've got, you've got tuition, you've got housing, you've got books, you've got food to pay for. And so a, a family that you know of who has just received unexpected medical bills, well, because your lack of money, you're like, how in the world can I help with those that, that just might break my budget? Uh, What if you're retired and you've really been feeling that God has been nudging you to buy a minivan for the young family across the street because you see that they try to jam their big family into a small Nissan, but you're looking at your retirement account and the market is down right now and you're like, man, I don't even know if we'll have enough funds to provide for our family. Or what if you're in your first job out of college and man, you are pulling so many hours, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, you're trying to make a name for yourself, and the thought of helping your cousin move next week might just push you over the edge. Or what if you have a new neighbor and they put a sign in their yard and it's the other political party? How do you love them? What if you're scrolling on social media and you see a a Roe versus Wade conversation, you're like, I have the perfect rebuttal to just lay the smack down and win that argument, but you know if you press post, it's going to cost you something. You see, when it comes to loving our neighbors, sometimes it's easy. And funny story, in the first worship, my neighbor actually showed up to worship, so he was like right there as I was talking about him, it was cool. But sometimes, right, it's easy to love your neighbor when you like your neighbor and when they ask you to do something that's just going to take you a few minutes to do, right? Uh, For instance, last week, again, uh, I was cutting the grass and my neighbor comes over and he's like, hey, Kyle, can you you show me how to put some computer files on a flash drive? Like, is that that something you know how to do? Side note, here's how I know that we're a multi-generational church. Some of you are like, man, I've been wondering the same thing. And some of you are like, Dad, what's a flash drive? (laughs) 
And people my age are like, why are we stuck in the middle? Anyway, I'm digressing. Right, but sometimes it's easy to love your neighbor, but other times it's not. Sometimes it's hard to think about the idea of using my hard-earned money to help those around us when I'm pretty sure that they're just making excuses about how hard life is. Or sometimes, if we're honest, we don't want to help the people around us because we just don't like the people around us. Hmm. Thousands of years ago, there was an expert in the law, and he was having this similar conversation with Jesus. He's like, Jesus, who, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to like and be in a relationship with? And, and if I got to help them, like at what cost do I have to help them? And I think Jesus says something profound here that I would love for all of us to lean into. Uh, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 I want to remind you, we are a phone-friendly church, so feel free to have it up on your phone. If you have a physical Bible, feel free to turn there as well, and we're also going to have it up on the screen. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Luke writes this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question with a question. Total youth pastor move. 26, what is written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Let's pause right here real quick. We can see that the expert in the law, whoever he is, he doesn't have pure motives, does he? He's not asking because he wants an answer. He's asking because he's trying to trip up Jesus. And oftentimes uh, in Jesus' day, the experts in the law would have uh, Jesus followed by someone like this as a way to monitor his faithfulness to the law. So that might be something that's happening here. Um, But regardless if it is or not, Jesus goes along with it for a second, doesn't he? He says, well, what's written in the law? He's like, love God, love people. Jesus like, survey says, God and people, way to go, A plus, you knocked it out of the park. Way to go, man. But then this expert of the law, he, he, he keeps going. He's like, well, who is my neighbor exactly? Jesus is getting ready to launch into a story, into a parable. And we're going to read it in just a second. But just know that when Jesus is getting ready to tell you a story, you're in trouble. <laughs> like he's got you right where he wants you and he is getting ready to rock your world Because what we have to understand here is that when this expert in the law, when he says to love my neighbor as myself, when he says neighbor, he has in mind two things. Number one, his fellow Jews, his family, right? And number two, people who are not his family, but people who have left their family and have made a conscious decision to enter into covenant relationship with Yahweh. So when he says neighbor, he has in mind people who look like me and people who think like me. And Jesus says, I know your definition. 
Let me tell you a story. We pick it up in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Other translations say he had compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the house, into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What Jesus has just done here has left everyone absolutely speechless. At the end of the story, it's pretty obvious who the neighbor is, right? There's, there's no debate. It's pretty obvious what the right answer is. But what totally rocks this guy's world is who plays the character of the neighbor who's showing compassion. The first two people in the story have identities that Jesus and this expert in the law would have been very familiar with, right? We've got the priest and we've got the Levite. Now, the priests and Levites, they shared the highest honor amongst God's people, right? Because they carried out the work of the temple, and because of that, they were of highest esteem, and they had great power and great fame. It's kind of like modern-day Christian authors who are on the New York Times best-selling list, or maybe celebrity pastors, right? So the people of that day, they looked to the priests and looked to the Levites, and were like, that's what it looks like to follow God. But what do the priests and the Levites do? They came, they saw, and they just kept walking. But a Samaritan, now this is where Jesus leaves them speechless. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. Uh, Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile, and they didn't get along. Right, the Samaritans, they had uh, competing views of scripture. They have different messianic expectations. And some historians even record that they were violent toward one another. Right, so if you saw each other in the street, like it might go down. But what does the Samaritan do? He came. He saw. And he was filled with compassion. And he steps in. And he helps the Samaritan, he, he allows his day to be interrupted and he bandages the wounds of the person who has been beaten severely. 
And not only does he bandage the wounds, but he uses the resources that he has. And he, he takes this person who has been hurt and he takes him to a place where he can receive rest and further treatment. And Jesus leans into the conversation and says to the expert in the law, says, you want to be a neighbor? Be like the Samaritan. And it's at this point that the expert in the law, his jaw drops to the floor and he is gasping for air at the thought that the Jewish people got it wrong and the Samaritan got it right. That just wasn't in his understanding. So what is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable? What was he trying to teach this expert in the law? I think what he's trying to teach us is that God's love and compassion for people is not confined by what family you come from. God's love and compassion, it's not confined by how much money you may or may not have. It's not confined by whether they look like you or whether they think like you. Neighbor love knows no boundaries. When neighbor love sees a need, it fills a need, and this is the heartbeat of Jesus. So may we be people who have received God's love and grace and compassion as we are walking about our day. May we see needs and respond and distribute that grace, love, and compassion. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. And when we do that, I know two things will happen. Number one, we will bless people. And number two, we will experience sweet, sweet intimacy with Jesus. Here's what I want you to walk away with today, and it's super, super simple. A neighbor that reflects the heart of Jesus is one who helps those in need. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. A neighbor that reflects the heart of Jesus is one who helps those in need. But here's what I know about you. At some point in your journey, for whatever reason, You've been the priest. You're going about your day. You saw a need. And you just kept walking. Here's what I know about Kyle. In moments throughout my life, I've been the Levite. Going about my day, I saw someone in need, and I just kept walking. Encounter Church, may we collectively today surround ourselves around the throne of grace and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for the moments that I have lived as this priest and this Levite, and I saw the need, but I just kept walking. And God, give us the heart of compassion so that when we see a need, we fill a need. God, give us that compassion. And I think what's important for us to understand, and I know Dirk talks about this often, is the need around us is great, right? It's great. And we can't do everything, but we can do something, right? And let's not let our inability to do everything keep us from doing something because we can do something. If you're a college student, pray to have the heart of a Samaritan. Right, maybe this is not the best time for you to support this family and their medical bills, but maybe you can babysit for mom and dad just to help them out, right? If you're retired, have the heart of a Samaritan. Maybe this isn't the best time to buy the minivan for the family across the street, but maybe you can offer yourself as their personal Uber and you can drive them to places when they need it, right? 
If you're in your first job out of college, listen, I know you're working your butt off. You're trying to climb the corporate ladder. You're trying to make a name for yourself, but have the heart of a Samaritan. It's going to be okay if you take a PTO day and help your cousin move at the end of the week. If, if you're a neighbor or if you have a new neighbor and they put a different political sign than your opinion and that sign goes in the yard, may we have the heart of a neighbor that says, maybe it's good for me to engage in conversation and relationship with someone who doesn't think like me. And please, Jesus, as we are scrolling through social media and we see an argument that we know we have the right rebuttal to and we can just win the argument, God, give us the heart of a neighbor, not to win the argument, but maybe to revisit the art of face-to-face conversation, right? Invite them out to coffee and say, hey, you know, we might not see eye to eye on everything, but let's try to walk hand in hand. Let's have the heart of the Samaritan. And what if we did this? Think about this with me. What if we, after receiving the love and compassion of Jesus, what if we not only responded to the needs around us, but what if we actively sought them out, right? Not, not only respond, but actively sought them out. Uh, Pastor Dirk, about how many people do we have uh, here at Encounter that would call Encounter Church their church home, roughly? 500? Okay, imagine this for me a minute. Imagine if 500 people, right, within uh, Fulton Heights, here at Encounter, in all West Michigan, imagine if 500 people woke up in the morning and said, God, how can I be a blessing to someone today? God, who at my workplace needs a word of encouragement? God, show me a family that's stressed out. Maybe I can help them out and just cut their grass. God, show me a family that they're not sleeping a lot because they have a newborn, and maybe I can just go and offer uh, babysitting so they can finally take a nap. God, show me someone who's struggling financially, and I don't know, maybe I can just help out and buy them groceries. Imagine what would happen, 500 people, if we woke up and said, God, how can I be a blessing to someone today? Here's what I think will happen. Number one, people are going to be blessed, and that's a good thing. But here's what I also think might happen, is that generosity would spark generosity. I want to share with you one more story, and then we'll get ready to wrap up. About five years ago, there was a bride and groom that were getting ready to get married, One month, about one month before the wedding day, the father of the bride-to-be passed away after his battle with cancer. It's hard. And as you can imagine, that created financial stress for the family. I mean, I don't know if you've checked recently, but weddings aren't cheap. (laughs) And even with good insurance, Cancer battles aren't cheap. A few months before the wedding, the bride and groom and the bride's parents, they go to a local catering company for taste testing. They taste the food and it's good. And so they decide to have a meeting with the owner of the catering company. And they're like, hey, we love your food. Here's kind of our financial situation. Here's our budget. And the owner of the catering company said, okay, here's a menu that will allow you to stay within budget. And so they pick some food, they agree on a date, and they're on their way for more wedding planning. The very next day, it's a true story, 
very next day, the owner of the catering company calls the groom-to-be. She says, hey, man, my, my heart just broke for your current situation. My heart broke for what you guys are going through. And God has blessed this company beyond my wildest dreams. And, uh, and I want to be a blessing to you guys. We want to offer our catering services to you and your bride-to-be at absolutely no charge. She said, the only thing we ask is, could you move the wedding up a couple of weeks because that's just going to be easier for our staff. The bride and groom are like, you can pick whatever day you want. And while this was a mountain of a blessing, as you can imagine, this created some more work, right? The people and contractors who were called and scheduled needed to be recalled and rescheduled. And that's when it happened. (laughs) Generosity sparked generosity. They called the reception venue. And they said, hey, you know that remaining balance that you owe us? Don't worry about it. They called the photographer and the photographer said, you know, we want to get in on this as well. Here's our best discount. The church where the ceremony was going to take place said, hold the check. The pastor was family, so he was already free. Even the sports car that the bride and groom got to drive off in, free. When God's generosity flows through the open hand of people, you can't stop it. And how do I know this story? bride and groom that was my wife and I when we got married just over five years ago when Jesus followers have their hands open like this and they say God whatever you've given me how can I be a blessing to those around me how can I help those in need How can I be extension of your love and your grace? When that happens, look out. So church, why don't you say we try to spark some generosity? As you leave today, you're gonna get this card. There's a little house in the middle, that's you. That's where you live. And then there are houses all around where you live. What God is inviting us into is to be a blessing to our neighbors. So here's what I want you, here's what I want to invite you into, and it's super simple. Look at where you live, look at your neighbors, and pray this simple prayer. God, how can I be a blessing to those around me? And whatever he's asking you to do, just like Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I don't know what will happen. 
maybe we just might spark a generosity movement to see people get blessed. You know, I've seen in my years that when people receive a tangible blessing from people just like us, there's there's just this sense of, man, God sees me. God knows what I'm going through. What do you say? Let's spark some generosity. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray and worship again. Jesus, this morning we surrender ourselves anew to you. God, thank you that you are a generous God. You didn't even hold back your only son, but you gave because you loved. God, help us to be a people that also give because of our love for the people around us. And God, we confess that in moments throughout our life, we've been like the priest. We've been like the Levite. Jesus, would you forgive us? God, and would you give us the heart of a Samaritan so as we are walking throughout our day, when we would see a need, we would fill a need. And that act of generosity would be an extension of your love and your grace. And Jesus, as we spread generosity, we say right now, we don't want any of the glory or recognition because that belongs to you and you alone. May you receive it. God, thank you that you are inviting us into intimacy with yourself, sweet, sweet intimacy. And we pray that wherever we're at today, whether we've been following Jesus since we were in diapers or maybe we just made a decision for Jesus yesterday, wherever we are at, we pray that we would take one step closer to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.